I've never been part of a book club, but I've always imagined what it would be, like kind of a garden club kind of thing where you have some snacks, hors d'oeuvres, you know, those little triangular sandwiches that don't have crust on them. What's wrong with crust? You know, I mean, what, what, what's the problem? Why are you against crust? But I've always thought that'd be kind of cool to be part of a book club because you could sit around and talk about some things that the author said or some ways that they developed a character maybe. Okay, I think that'd be kind of cool. Um, I'm reading uh, Don Quixote right now, and it'd be kind of cool to be part of a book club to talk about Don Quixote, a classic, you know. Um, in some ways, what we're doing in the next few minutes is we're part of a book club. We've had three years together in a book, the book that's specifically a letter within our Bible, the book of Ephesians. But what's cool about this that's different from a book club is that a book club is talking about something that's sort of outside of them, and maybe with some influence that it's had on their lives, but probably going to be light. I don't know that Don Quixote is going to change my life. I can probably expect that it's not going to. Now, it's a pretty funny book, and it's a great book, but I don't think it's going to make for a different bend when I'm finished. But what's cool about what we're going to do in these next few minutes is, is we are participating in a book club that's not just recounting what God has done, or not just recounting some things that influenced us that we may have enjoyed, but things that actually changed our lives. Man, it's like a really potent book club. It's like a supernatural book club. So one of the things that I've, um, I asked our people to do this last week and uh, I've been communicating with various uh, families and people over the course of the week uh, to sort of uh, bring before you some snapshots. I know that there are some things that are not going to be shared in these next few minutes publicly that the Lord has done. Folks that may have been just absolutely too nervous to share publicly. Uh, I get it. I totally get it. But there are folks that, who, that have said, okay, we will share. So we're going to spend the next few minutes hearing from some folks, some testimonies of what God has done through our slow Here's a good word for it. Plod through the book of Ephesians over the last couple of years. So what I, what I hope is that in these next few minutes is that we'll be worship. Psalm 22, 22 says, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. So that's all we're going to do in these next few minutes. Is in the midst of the congregation, we're going to praise a God that has not wasted three years. That he, in fact, has proven that the word does not return void. These next few minutes, you're going to hear from Derek and Lindsay. And this is also the order. I made a little change to the order. So those who are actually sharing, pay attention. Uh, I, I couldn't catch you before the service started. Derek and Lindsay will go first. Derek and Lindsay Lane. Aaron and Krista Sherman will be next. Jennifer Belitz will be after that. Scott Sutton will be after that. Ginevra Ott and then Paige Shepard. And then I'm going to be sharing a couple of testimonies through written, reading uh, someone's testimonies for them. So Derek and Lindsay, you guys can come on up. Good morning, Crosspoint. I'm Derek Lane, and this is my wife, Lindsay, if you don't know us. Um, I'm going to share a passage from Ephesians that was impactful to me and I learned from, and then she's going to share separately. So... Ephesians 6.4 and its satellite of Colossians 3.21 was, was impactful to me as a father. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, lest they become discouraged. It never hit me before how I can be so discouraging at times. I've learned that my children 
are the least guilty to blame for tough life circumstances, for hard days and disappointments. Those passages really opened my eyes to see my children are not all wired the same. They don't receive instruction in the same way, and they don't respond to circumstances in the same way. These passages will continue to remind me that my words can build up or probably even more easily break down. I can and I should give them the same grace that God so freely gives me every single day. Um, I'm a little bit more wordy than my husband, <laughs> so mine's a little bit um, longer. 2017 was a hard year for me. We spent a good part of the year trying to figure out some health issues I was having, and most people don't know this, but we ended the year pretty certain that I had cancer. And I'm a nervous crier. <laughs> part of why that was such a hard pill to swallow, pun intended, was because I run a business centered on health and wellness, and I had made huge strides in the past five to 10 years for our family's health. We entered 2018 heavy, and I was extremely defeated. In mid-January, January, we finally got the results that we had worried was, what we had worried was cancer was benign. Through it all, the one thing I realized was, or one of the things I realized was that I, Lindsay, had been making all these strides thinking that I had all this power to make things happen or not happen with our health. While I do strongly believe we're called to be good stewards of our body, I realize maybe truly for the first time, that ultimately, no matter how hard I try, no, ma how, no matter my efforts, that he has the final say. I feel like maybe I had been under an illusion that he, he would move based on my, the efforts that I put in and how I did my part. A few weeks after finally getting the relief of being told that I didn't have cancer, Ben preached through Ephesians 6, 10 to 12. Ben pointed out that Jesus, he's a strong warrior who leaves the world changed forever. He is who and what we're called to be strong in and who to call on. That we're, that we're to be strengthened in the Lord and the strength of his might. Ben talked about the Stoics and how they were called to be strong in themselves. That they used their reason, their intellect, their strength, and that you would ultimately prevail on your own. If you work hard enough, it will be so. Trust in yourself. He pointed out that the Stoic message sounds great to trust in your reason, trust in your intellect, and then you'll prevail until you don't. Until you face something bigger than you. And that's exactly what I faced in 2017. What we ultimately realized is that we were being called to find strength in someone outside of ourselves. As believers, that seems like a no-brainer until you realize that you actually haven't been doing that. The message in Ephesians 6 is to find strength in the Lord. That seems like common sense. Sorry. That seems like common sense, and I would have told you I was trusting in the Lord until I realized that I was just a little stoic who thought that my intellect, my control, my plans couldn't actually create the outcome in this situation. But I realized, and it was confirmed through the preached word. I'm so sorry. Um, that he equips me with his strength by putting on the armor to stand against the evil one, an armor that is tailored to fit me surgically, that we can pick up the shield of faith and believe him during our hardships. 
that we can stand firm in the evil days where the cunning, sneaky rulers and authorities are throwing their fiery darts at the exact place of our weakness, where agents with thousands of years of experience are tasked with foiling our efforts and getting to us right where we're weak. For me, it was my health and my perception of control and ultimately realizing my lack of faith in truly trusting him until we realized all we could do was truly trust in him, that we had nothing else except trusting in him. A few weeks later, Penn preached through Ephesians 6, 16 about the shield of faith, and it's like this epiphany of my actual lack of faith, even though I didn't think I had a lack of faith, at the time sort of became even more apparent, and through the preached word, the Lord reassured me of his love and care for me even more. Ben reminded us that during those times of sickness or depression or anxiety that we can stand and we can believe that he hasn't left or forsaken us. That we can stand and move faithfully because though I am weak, he has made perfect in my weakness and he has equipped me with a surgically fitting armor to put on to endure. To take up the shield of faith, believing him during our hardships, standing in the evil day, standing is moving, is my moving faithfully, standing is believing him and trusting that he hasn't left or forsaken me, truly believing that, that's standing. Taking up our shield of faith is standing and believing and moving faithfully in the health issues, the depression, the anxiety, or the job loss. So it's been really sweet the past two months through the Lord revealing himself to us and his care for us through the most scary and difficult time in our lives. And then coming to corporate worship. And sitting under teaching where it's confirmed that, yep, we do have an enemy who is conniving and wants to get at us where it's most painful and where you'll slip up. For me, it was my health and this false sense of, I've got this, but we can take heart. He hasn't left us or forsaken us. He has equipped us with the perfect art, with the perfect for us armor to fight the fiery darts as they're sent at us. And just like Keith McCord, we can say, though he slay me, I will trust him. So this year, Aaron and I switched up a couple of things in our personal devotion time. Um, without really planning it, we both got new Bibles, and we started reading the Christian Standard Version Bible. Um, and then about a month ago, we chose to go through um, a Lent study together through the He Reads Truth and She Reads Truth plans, um, which is studying Exodus right now. Um, we've never really purposely read the same thing at the same time, but it's been really sweet to see what the Lord is showing the other person. Um, and as we further got into Lent, we've been shocked at how the wording of Exodus has lined up with um, what we were hearing on Sunday morning. We were both amazed that as we read about the Israelites' story of being slaves um, and leaving Egypt, that there were so many comparisons and illustrations to our study in Ephesians 6 that caused us to consider these things in a new light. We want to read a few sections from Exodus real quick with y'all um, to show you how the God of the New Testament is the same God of the Old Testament and how mighty he is still and how his promises still endure in our age today. So the back history here is that Moses was called by God to go to Egypt um, to talk to Pharaoh to ask that he let their people go. Um, 
so that they could go out and to worship him. Moses tells Pharaoh the first time to let his people go, and Pharaoh responds in Exodus 5 and says, Why are you causing the people to neglect their work? Get to your labor. Look, the people of the land are so numerous, and you would stop them from their labor. That day Pharaoh commanded the overseers of the people, Don't continue to supply the people with straw for their making of the bricks, as you did before. They must now go and gather straw for themselves. Impose heavier work on the men. Then they will be occupied with it and not, a pay, not pay attention to the deceptive words. I compared this with Ephesians 6, 10 through 12 that says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness. As I was reading this, I became much more aware of the schemes of the devil and how often those schemes look so much like struggles with the flesh than struggles of spiritual forces. Satan fought the Israelites by redirecting their attention when Pharaoh removed straw from their daily brick making. Satan focused their attention on their own pain and their own struggle and uh, own suffering, and it worked. I had to stop and think, how much of the strife that I find in my own life with my wife or with my kids in my church, my workplace, is the scheme of the devil to move my attention away from the Lord? This battle looks like flesh so often that I'm blinded by the spiritual movement that's behind it. This distraction by Satan causes strife, loss of faith, anger, and doubt. So much doubt. The next section of verses that Moses was talking about um, in Exodus 5.22 says this. So Moses went back to the Lord and asked, Lord, why have you caused trouble for this people? And why did you ever send me? Ever since I went in to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has caused trouble for your people. And why have you not rescued your people at all? The struggles that we fight day to day easily impact us in the same ways. We become discouraged, weary, and burdened by the circumstances of our lives, the relationships that we have, and the places that we work and serve. I know that I have said in many ways the same words that Moses put forth. It says, you haven't rescued your people at all. This study in Ephesians and Exodus has brought this battle to my forefront. The fact that Satan is fighting us each day to forget and to walk away from the Lord is sobering. It's frightening even, and it feels as if it could overtake us at times. But God has prepared a defense for his people and a posture that we're supposed to stand in. Okay, so what has stood out to me is that again and again, the Lord refers to the Israelites as an army. He prepares them as one, and he moves them out of Egypt as one. In Exodus 12, Moses is explaining the last plague to the Israelites, um, where the firstborn will die unless there's blood on the doorposts or on the lentils. Um, they have a meal that night, and it's called the Passover. And Exodus 12:11 says, here's how you must eat it. You must be dressed for travel, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. You are to eat in a hurry. It is the Lord's Passover. And then Exodus 12, 51 says, On the same day the Lord brought the Israelites out of the land of Egypt according to their military divisions. Exodus 13, 18 says he moves them out in battle formation, which just kind of blows my mind. But when you, when you think about it, organizationally, it would be the best way to move 2 million people out of a city or out of a country in one night, which is basically... Dallas and Fort, like proper Dallas and Fort Worth, like moving out in one, one fail swoop. They didn't leave anyone behind. Um, and then in the next section, Israel, as Israel's fleeing, 
Egypt is coming after them. The Egyptians are. Um, and Israelites call, cry out to Moses in Exodus 14, 12, and it says, Isn't this what we told you in Egypt? Leave us alone so that we may serve the Egyptians. It would be better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses replies, don't be afraid. Stand firm and see the salvation that the Lord will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you must be quiet. Exodus then says that the Egyptians ran away because they saw the Lord fighting for them. Um, this same stand firm language is just what stood out to me in Ephesians. Um, when we stand firm in the big things and in the little things in our everyday lives with our armor on and our battle form formation, we get to see the Lord's deliverance. Two things I learned the most from. <clears throat> One was Ephesians 5, 22 through 24. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Submission to my husband equals respect. Submission to my husband also equals worship to Christ. I have always thought of respect as a way that you talk to someone or that you valued their opinion. I never realized that my lack of respect for my husband was seen as a lack of respect for him. I'm sorry, my lack of submission to my husband was seen as a lack of respect to him. I viewed my lack of submission as me not agreeing with his way of doing things or to not, to, to not submit to my husband means that I am not respecting him and that I am not and that I am disobeying Christ. Now I see the totality that that has on my relationship with my husband and on my relationship with Christ. The second thing that I gleaned is in regards to God's armor and to Satan's schemes. Ben showed me a different perspective on God's armor that I hadn't seen before. Individual armor for individual soldiers. Individual armor is 180-degree protection, but in communion with other soldiers, Christians that we are doing life with, it provides 360-degree protection. Ben also reminded me that I am not incapable of being deceived by the devil. I am a stay-at-home mom, and I don't get out much, so sometimes I feel it's not so easy to, for Satan to tempt me. Ben reminded me that Satan knows me and that he can use Things even within my own home to get me to fall, even in the small things. The evil day, as referred to in Ephesians 6.13, doesn't necessarily mean the end times or a big evil thing happening in the world, but could easily mean the small evil days of depression, struggling with finances, or battles with kids. Satan uses anything to draw us away from Christ. After all, he used a piece of fruit to draw Adam and Eve away. Listening to all these testimonies is um, it's encouraging, but it's also humbling, right? I mean, you're sitting there going, wow, you got all that out of what Ben said? That was, that was impressive, right? 
Like, yeah, it makes me want to listen more closely. I'm like, I, I take like five pages of notes every Sunday, but you guys are listening. So uh, I have, uh, I'm a pastor, so I have three points that I'll make very quickly. Uh, the first is just the, the conviction as, as we went through Ephesians that the, the gospel is both horizontal and vertical. You know, sin separates us from God, so the gospel is vertical, and, and, and it reconciles, Jesus reconciles us to God. But the, the horizontal part is something that we lose sight of, and I know I do. And sometimes it leaves you feeling hopeless when there's relational conflict. And so when we consider that the gospel is both, it's between us and God, but sin also separates us from one another. And so Christ reconciles us to one another in the gospel. That's an encouragement to me as I counsel others, as people either land in my living room or in my office, and they tell you what's going on. I don't know if you ever had that situation where someone tells you all the problems that they're facing and all the different things that are going on, and your flesh begins to kind of well up. Like someone comes in and says, here's everything that's going on, and you're like, that's pretty bad. I don't know. Y'all should probably cut your losses and call it quits. It's really rough. You don't ever have to do that. In Christ, there's absolutely no conflict that is, is to the point of hopelessness. Um, I, I've watched the Lord reconcile people uh, in ways that I never would have thought possible. I, I really in my flesh would have thought, I just don't think it's going to work. I think it's too far gone. And I just watched the Lord grab hold of his children and bring them back to himself and bring them back to each other. And that's an encouragement. The second part is that every single imperative can be linked to an indicative. The imperatives and the indicatives are um, the first half of Ephesians is what God has done, and the second half of Ephesians is what we're supposed to do in light of what he's done. Well, as a young pastor, I have a tendency to die on every hill. Like, it's important, so just let's do it. Let's do this. And, and so that gives me a check to check my motives and make sure that what I'm doing and what I feel is important and what I'm trying to lead others in is actually connected to one of the things that the Lord is doing, that the Lord has called us to do. And it, and it really just helps me to check my motives. And then the third thing is not treating people according to their roles. So much of Ephesians is, um, this is what the father does, this is what the mother does, this is what the children do, this is what the husband does, this is what the wife does, this is what the boss does, this is what the workers do. And it can sound very rigid. But as we went through it as a church, and we listened to the preaching, what we found is that it is so human. It's just so tender on the side of the fact that we're all human beings, fragile and common. And one of the things that Ben communicated was it kind of creates a difference between just saying, you know, what are you doing versus how are you doing? So um, I'm a, let's, let's get this thing done. What's happening for the day? What's the agenda? Let's line it out kind of a guy. And the Lord blessed me with five children, four of which are daughters, girls, emotional beings. Although my son is pretty dramatic at times. Um, but uh, what that has helped me do, so I took that. I'm like, all right, let's give that a shot. And so generally at the end of the day, we have our prayers. And, and it, it, when you do prayer every day at the end of the day with your children, it be, can become sort of a how quickly can I pray and put you in bed so that I can go and sit down. And so um, that happens very, very easily. And so rather than just saying, well, what do we got going on? Um, I sat with my daughters, my two oldest daughters, and said, how are y'all doing? What can we pray about? How are y'all doing? And for 45 minutes, I mostly just listened. And it was wonderful because considering it's not just, hello, daughter, what do you have going on tomorrow? How can I pray for you? But rather, how's it going? In those 45 minutes, I gained some insight into actually what's going on in their life. Um, what Y'all might be thinking, I thought you were a pastor. You're supposed to be good at that. I'm just a dad, and I got daughters, and sometimes I don't know what I'm doing. And so 
Um, I'm thankful for the word to give me that insight to be able to sit and, and ask that question because the response was like real things, real problems, real hurdles, real things that need to be worked through. And then you take that and you take it to the real word of God. And the, the prayer was sweeter. The conversation was sweeter. The next day I was able to follow up. How did that thing go? How's that relationship doing? And it just sort of um, gave good Christ-centered fruit uh, to that relationship. So those are the three things that I've been blessed with in a few seconds. Can everybody hear me? Okay. All right. So um, Ephesians 6 is also what talked to me. Um, and the things that I learned were about spiritual warfare and the certain schemes of the devil. Um, so my specific thing that I'm going to talk about is how it affects me at work. Um, so I'm a therapist and a clinical director for Arms of Hope. And we have two programs. Um, but the program that I'm going to talk about today is called the Together Program. And um, it's for single women and their children we give them housing and um, we help them with an education plans so that they can learn to support their family a lot of times the women are either coming from domestic violence or homelessness um, or CPS has gotten involved and and their children might be removed so they come into our program because it gives them a sta stable place to live and security and so some of the things that I've learned about the schemes of the devil is um, they're in our program because of, like, broad schemes of the devil, um, like drug addiction and alcoholism and domestic violence and sexual abuse and homelessness and abandonment. So ultimately, Satan has put these women in a position where they have been so deeply hurt by others and by their own decisions that their minds lack the ability to trust. Um, and the scheme of the devil, it, it kind of plays out like this every day, is God is relational, and we are created to be dependent on him and dependent on others. Um, we learn to trust through our relationship with God and others. But these women have been abandoned and abused by those who were supposed to love them. Um, these women believe the lie that they can only trust and rely on themselves and not others and especially not God. Um, this is the same lie that Satan was able to get Eve to believe in the garden. He convinced man to trust himself. Um, so in session with these women... Um, it's very hard and I feel very inadequate because it just seems such a huge responsibility um, to try to share the truth with them. Um, but also to know that some of the situations that they talk about are things that I've never experienced. Um, also things that um, people don't talk about because they're too dark. Um, so it makes me feel very discouraged. Um, so this is where Ephesians comes in, and um, it helps clear up how I am to stand firm. So instead of relying, what happens in session is I feel like, okay, I have to use the perfect words. I have to say the right thing, like they're sharing this with me, and like it's so important what I say. Um, oh, I'm going to be a crier too. Um, <clears throat> but three things out of um, our armor I mean, there were so many of them, but three is all that I really have time to share is um, the belt of truth, 
Um, Ben says the soldier of Christ comes clean. Um, When I bring light to darkness in myself and my family, that it actually renders Satan ineffective. So he's been doing that in in me and my family for a long time, but especially um, for 12 years as we're here in Crosspoint. And he does that by um, corporate worship, um, by small group. I mean, every single week, either we're in our home or in the Sadler's home, and we're talking about the truth. Um, Our children are talking about the truth. We're praying for these people. Um, The ladies' retreat, that's like this major injection of truth Um, and then just thousands of conversations that I've had with women and other people in this congregation 12 years of thousands of conversations Um, and so I realize that it's not what I'm saying in that moment is years that God has helped me to stand firm Um, also the breastplate of righteousness my acts are good works in response to Christ's salvation given to me So my prayer whenever I'm working with these women is, please just do for these women what you've done for me. (laughs) Daily remembering who God is and who I am in relationship to him protects us from the schemes of the devil. And so on a daily basis, he's protecting me. And so when I go in there, I'm just protected already and have been for years. Um... And then the second is gospel shod feet. The gospel has transformed us, so we're ready to serve. Um, there is horizontal peace between me and these women. I don't have to share the same experience. I just know what the schemes of the devil are, and I recognize them. And um, <clears throat> I so have a strong desire to serve these women in a way that... Um, I just want to share what he's done for me and for my family. So at that point, I just openly talk about the church. Um, So in our program, it's a requirement that they go to church every Sunday. And we have a a church body that is in partnership with our program. And so that's where our women go to church every Sunday. So a lot of times we struggle with the women because they're like got four children, they're single moms, they're going to school 16 hours a week, they're doing all these things Sunday mornings, they don't want to get up and travel 45 minutes to this, to this church. So my executive director and I have been talking about how we just want the women to understand how important church is. So that's kind of what we've been having some conversations with them. And what I try to share with them is actual experiences about how the church has been there for me, how the church walks with me, how the church forms my marriage. And I beg these women (laughs) to be a part of something horizontally that lives out the truth of Christ. I beg these women, go to this church, get to know these people, and let them help you parent your children. Let them hold you accountable. And I just talk openly about situations in my own life where the church has been there immediately, where the church, where I go to the church regularly, where the church comes into my home weekly, and we just talk about those things over and over. And um, I think they're starting to listen. (laughs) So that's how it has, has worked in my life.
Ephesians 6, 18, says, Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert in all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. As I sat on the front row with my barefoot and squirmy four-year-old, already anxious about walking in late, and trying to figure out how many peppermints I can bribe him with so that I may be able to listen for just a minute, I began to feel the stirring. I would consider prayer one of my spiritual gifts. The words, that the words come easy to me, and it's something that I can stop and do even if just for a moment. Of course, praying is something that I do for other people, my kids, my husband, people who ask for prayers on Facebook, my students, etc. I can love these people with a moment of my time with prayer. But asking prayer for myself, admitting that I'm struggling, I don't think so. Admitting that I could barely get out of bed this morning because I had very little motivation to mom my kids again today. Claiming that the idea of preparing to spend another week locked in a classroom with 14 precious eight-year-olds isn't always joyful, and honestly, sometimes I don't want to be there. Being truthful about how most days I'd rather just lay in bed all day with no noise thinking about how it might be easier if all of this just went away. How in the world could I say these things to people and them still love me? And then I heard Ben say, I stand up here every week and share myself. I'm real, and I lay it all out there. I would only hope that as a body I could ask the same of you. There was that stirring again. I have an amazing husband who loves me so well, kids who are some of the most amazing humans I know. I still have my parents active in my life. I have a great job, two cars, a dog. We have even adopted another kid. Like I volunteered to bring another kid into this crazy I completely and fully know where my hope lies. So why can't I just quit feeling so low and down and dark? Why is life such a drag and so hard? Some days there just isn't enough medicine or oils or coffee to clear the fog in my head to see the truth. Driving through McDonald's after church that morning, I knew I had to ask. Ben said that he expects us to come to one another and ask for prayer. So I did. And boy, has the Lord showed up. Even through my own shame and embarrassment, I have felt the prayers and the love. I serve a God that is bigger than depression and anxiety. Walking through Ephesians the last three years has revealed a lot of things to me, but my biggest takeaway was at the very end, ask for prayer when you need it. We all do. It's making me nervous. Things are gonna fall out and make a racket. Man, I'm telling you what, right now, that um, I had a tough night sleeping last night. Christy was coughing and has a sinus thing going on, and I was on the couch last night, and she didn't kick me off into the couch or anything. It was just quieter. <laughs> <clears throat> and I had trouble sleeping, and I was thinking about, I was convicted about the thought that I was more worried about how y'all were going to receive all these testimonies than the fact that this is a vertical. And we're offering up these as an offering, as a sweet aroma to a God saying, this is what you've done. And then, oh, by the way, we're listening to one another. So, man, I needed to, needed to regroup. I needed that sleepless night to uh, reorient me as, a, as what we were doing this morning. There's a couple more offerings. I have a, a, here's one from Kate Stevens. She and Clint were out of town this weekend, and she asked me to share this. I'm in two graduate classes where a Christian worldview is by far the minority. One Sunday before we started the Armor of God series out of Ephesians 6, I was assigned to read and respond to really challenging articles that handled numerous ways Christianity has wronged people of the LGBTQ community. 
to sit under teaching from this leadership that encouraged me to be strong, stand firm, put on, and ask others to pray was nothing short of God's sovereignty in preparing me for this difficult journey and context I was stepping into. Equipped with a rekindled boldness, I was able to share truth in that classroom of who God really is, what the Bible really says, and what his people are really like by actually hand, handling or handing out scripture as evidence. The result was starting to meet regularly with a group or with a friend from that class. She's an atheist who is part of the LGBT community and has been harmed by the church, but is also really inquisitive of this specific body of believers, Cross Point Fellowship. With each difficult question she asks me, I hear our, our good God saying, stand firm. The last two testimonies are from a couple, first from the husband. Okay, I got to regroup. Okay. I thought for sure our marriage was dead. My lust had caused marriage problems before. Pornography, flirtations that led to emotional affairs. But since my sins were mostly private, I've been able to keep them mostly in the dark by lying my way out of it or blaming my wife. This time was different because the flirtations had erupted into a physical affair. This time I couldn't hide, lie, or shift blame. This time I was going to have to fully confess the entirety of my sins and face the consequences of divorce and public humiliation. All right, I, I got I to read it. I got to read this. All right, I got to regroup. Whew. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive. He dragged my sin into the light in such a way that I couldn't lie my way out of it. And when the sins were finally confessed, the immeasurable riches of his grace were shown to me. I was forgiven. Although I had been a Christian for a long time, I finally felt what it was like to be washed clean. God's grace had washed away my sin, but that's not all God's grace can do. Next, he began to free me from the bondage of lust and, and restore my marriage. It wasn't easy, but for the first time in my life, I wasn't fighting my lust alone, armed only with the power of my own self-righteousness. In Ephesians 4, I was challenged and equipped not to walk like the Gentiles, and to put off your, but, but to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. I prayed that my old self would die and that God would give me new desires that were his desires, and he did. In Ephesians 5, I realized that my sexual immorality was a symptom of covetous heart, of a covetous heart, and the antidote for covetousness is thanksgiving. I began asking God to help me be thankful, not a superficial pretending thankfulness, but to truly help me to be thankful for the blessings he had given me, especially my wife. Instead of focusing on aspects of her that I wanted him to change, I became intentionally grateful for the amazing woman that she already was. As I learned to be grateful, my love for her began to flourish in a way it hadn't in years. I felt like I was discovering her in a new way and becoming closer to her than, ever, than I ever had before. 
He himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. We prayed that God would heal our marriage, and he did. He not only brought us back together, but he drew us closer together than we ever had been before. Of course, there's still pain from the affair and difficulties that we have to work through, but there's an intimacy that comes from knowing that everything is out in the open and that God is at work in both of us. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And from the wife. We hear it often from the pulpit here at Crosspoint, but I would first like to testify that we are being equipped. You, right now, every single week. Even if you don't realize it fully, of course I believed it to be true and regularly saw application to the preached word in my ordinary Tuesdays, but never like this. During the preaching of Ephesians over the last few years, the Lord was shoring me up for a hard work I could never have imagined. It was during this time that I learned of my husband's affair. During my life, I've known of Christian marriages that had survived affairs but never could get my head around it and always said, not me. I would never be one of those women. But God. When my world crashed around me, or what I thought was my world, I was able to see the idols I had built. How even good things like marriage can be an idol. And how I had put my hope in something and someone who could not satisfy. God did a miraculous work on my heart and I was overwhelmed with thanksgiving thankful that he did not leave us in our sin. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He could have easily allowed the sin to continue, but now I know that my worst nightmare coming to light was actually his loving kindness. Excruciating, but oh so sweet. He reached down and plucked us from death. He rescued us. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the first time in my lifetime of believing and following Jesus, I came face to face with this question. Do I really believe what I say I believe about the gospel? It was time to make a choice to put steps to, to walk the words I've always said were true, even the painfully difficult ones, especially those. But what I learned in the digging in is that in my suffering was the sweetest view of the grace and mercy of Jesus a perspective I would never have known outside of the worst pain I've ever experienced. I learned in a very real way that marriage is not about me. It's a picture of of the gospel. This unity was hard won by the blood of Christ. Who am I to say this is too hard? Knowing what has been endured by Jesus so that we can live as one. This horizontal unity is a picture of what God has done for us. I truly know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. A crazy thing in the eyes of the world. But now by the grace of God, I live with a daily picture of the gospel. In a sermon last year, Ben said we are being written into a story. And I'm overwhelmed with gratitude that God is using our family in his story. And I pray that generations of our family and possibly others will know and follow hard after him. Because of the sweet story of redemption, he is writing with our brokenness. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. According to the power at work within us, 
To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Man, these are just a few snapshots of what it's like to just plod through a book of the Bible. You know what's so awesome, too? Is at least for right now, he's given us time and he's given us a lot more Bible. None of it was super impressive. Those sermons they referred to, there were no light shows. I probably didn't say anything funny. I mean, it was nothing that really stood out other than the exposition of the word and the work of the Holy Spirit and the people that are just committed to just take the next step to just keep plotting. Man, God is so good. What amazing stories. And I know there are many stories that weren't even shared today that could be shared. I'll share my testimony in these last couple of verses of the book of Ephesians. If you're not there, turn there. I don't have a whole sermon for you. I just have the next few minutes. These next few minutes are going to land the plane for us in a three-year journey in the book of Ephesians. It's the benediction to the book. Benediction is like a prayer wish. If you want to know what a benediction is, sometimes you may hear a pastor at the end of a uh, end of the morning after you dis- just before he dismisses you, you give a benediction. It's that's what it is. It's a prayer wish, and that's what Paul is doing here in the book of Ephesians in the last two verses of chapter six. He's got a number of these all over the, the, his letters throughout the New Testament, and it seems like a very fitting farewell. So here are those two verses. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. There are four really key words that come out of this benediction. Peace, love, faith, and grace. And that's what we've been talking about for the last three years. That's what he wrote about in the last six chapters. Peace, love, faith, and grace. And there are three phrases that come out of this benediction. And those three phrases are, first of all, peace be to the brothers. Secondly, love with faith from God and our Lord. And third, grace with all who love Christ. Peace be to the brothers. That's what this book has been about, this vertical and horizontal peace. You heard it um, in these testimonies, saturated in these testimonies, this horizontal thing that has come into focus for us in a church in these last, as a church in these last three years. I just got to tell you, I've for many years wondered about what God is doing to call us to Greenville. To call us 15 years ago to plant a church here in Greenville, Texas. We got on the Chamber of Commerce website. There were 98 Christian churches listed on the Chamber of Commerce website. And we're going to go plant a church in that community a mile from our parent church, our mother church, Ridgecrest Baptist Church. You realize that would be like going to open a a Chinese food restaurant in Chinatown. (laughs) In China. (laughs) My, that's just a recipe for disaster. And over the 15 years, I've wondered a thousand times, what are we doing here? Why are we here? Not doubting him, but just wanting to try and make sense of what exactly is our focus as a people of God. Why did he want us to be here? And I think what's coming to fo- what's come into focus for me over the years is the realization that God, yes, through the gospel, has reconciled God and man through Christ's work. Man, that's seriously good news. And that's preached from most pulpits, from most churches throughout our community. I celebrate that. We should celebrate that. Good news is being heard. But what I fear is not as developed is the equally good news that man is also reconciled to man through the gospel. 
that Jew and Gentile can be made one is shocking good news. I'm going to call Jew and Gentile irreconcilables. That the cross and the work of Christ is so profound that it can take irreconcilables and make them not just uh, not wanting to kill each other, but make them one? Man, that's seriously good news. If I've wondered over the years, God, what are we doing here? What have you called us to? I think I've realized in these last few years in our time in Ephesians is we are here to preach to a community that has been bewitched by believing only the first part of the gospel. Me and God, we're square. I got saved when I was a kid. All these things happened over here, but I don't need this horizontal thing. We are in a community that has mostly been bewitched with a lie. You know, the church during the Reformation actually said that there is no salvation apart from the church. And I think that's because you're walking in half of the gospel. And walking in the half of the gospel is not walking in the gospel at all. It's a vertical reconciliation, and it's a horizontal reconciliation. Man, I love being part of that journey in Greenville, Texas, and in Hunt County to bring that part of the good news to this community. I trust there are churches that are preaching it. I trust there are churches that are walking in it. But I've realized that's one of our focus, that not only do we love God, but we want to be great and loving people. They go hand in hand. It's all the gospel. The second thing for me, testimony-wise, comes out of this next phrase. Love with faith from God and our Lord. In this second part of verse 23. And love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice here where love and faith come from. Love and faith come from our Lord. We can't muster these things. I can't conjure these things. I can't have a sermon so prepared that I'm going to somehow create love and faith in you. That's something that God does. It's impossible for someone to do this in one another. It's impossible for you as parents to create love and faith in your children. You can create the setting. You can foster the atmosphere. But God is the source of love and faith. He quickens us to those things. It's not something that we can conjure. And this should encourage us. It encourages me in the work of evangelism. That the greatest work of evangelism is prayer. Prayer. Somebody asks, what's your evangelism program? Prayer. Prayer. That's not all of it, but man, that's the first part of it. Prayer. He's the one that quickens the heart. Man, if he can bring all of Nineveh to its knees with an eight-word sermon from a reluctant preacher, then man, let me tell you something. I want to work as if it's up to me, preparing sermons that have some, some, some oomph, have some content and have some meat, but I want to trust and sleep at night knowing that he's the one that, that quickens the heart, that he's the one that gives love and faith. Man, that's a testimony to me. I needed to be reminded of that. Our greatest work in evangelism is prayer. Our greatest work in missions is prayer. Our greatest work in discipleship is prayer. Our greatest work in parenting parents is prayer. Man, our greatest work in marriage is prayer. Our greatest work in integrating the secular and the sacred. That's one of the things I enjoyed hearing from these testimonies. Geneva is a great example. And there were others. Integrating to where there's no lines. There's, the lines are blurred between where I work and where I worship because I'm a Christian. 
And everywhere I go, I take salt and light. And I want to be a faithful steward of something that I've been given. Man, the secular and the sacred lines are blurred. And you know what fuels that and guides that? Prayer. Prayer. God does that. My greatest work in preaching is prayer. And your greatest work in listening and responding is prayer. Prayer is what energizes and electrifies the full armor of God. Prayer is the work. God used the book of Ephesians to show me this. And lastly, this morning, in this third point, in this third thing that comes out of this benediction is grace with all who love Christ. This is a letter about grace. Man, this is a beautiful letter about grace that helps us see the contours and the shape of grace. It sheds light on grace for us. That grace not only saves, but that grace sustains us through all that he's called us to. If he's called us to walk in unity, if he's called us in response to the gospel to walk in love, if he's called us in response to the gospel to walk in holiness and to walk in wisdom, man, I'm going to need gobs of grace for that, and you are too. That's a great prayer wish. Lord, give us gobs of grace to walk in what you called us to. We need his grace. And it's a great God that gives us what we ask. And this has been a sweet journey and a sweet book. And it's been especially sweet walking it with you. Let me just give you this encouragement before we have the supper. If over the course of the morning you're sitting here thinking, man, I really don't have a testimony. I know there are folks in here that have a testimony that's something that God has said or done or worked in you through the book of Ephesians. And if you're sitting here thinking, man, I really don't have anything, let me encourage you. Plod with someone. If you're a visitor here this morning, you're like, man, this is not necessarily, I think, where we want to be, but we need to be somewhere else. Keep looking and find a place that's plodding, unspectacularly, if that's even a word, plodding. Just walking verse by verse through God's word, setting it free to do its great work of what the Holy Spirit does through it. Man, that's my encouragement to you. And if you're part of this church, you're like, I don't feel compelled to go anywhere, but I don't have a testimony either, then listen closer. Man, listen. Come and eat like it's food. Bring your notebook, bring your pen, bring your paper, take notes, talk about it over a meal, over lunch with your family. Be part of a life group. These other unimpressive things that God uses to change people's lives. Man, there's no pill. I wish there was a pill. We'd just pass it out and everybody's lives would be changed. It probably is a pill, but your lives going to be changed in the wrong direction. <laughs> Man, let's talk about real life change. Man, it's a process. And it's a diet. Let me encourage you to take and eat. Let's pray.